Okay, hi everybody. We're here today for the latest episode of Take Your Mark with Mark Blythe and Carrie Nordland. Hi guys. Um, Hello. Hating that title. I love it. I love it. All right. All right. We'll talk about the Gee. skinny repeal in a minute. But um, let's talk about the Democrats' better deal that they unveiled on Monday. We were just talking, la- well, a few days ago about how um, 52% of Americans think that Democrats' only platform is being against Trump. So does this solve any of that problem? No. It's. There are two, there's a difference between having a slogan and having policy. And I think that slogan, which is terrible, is something that's been poll tested a million times or maybe just once. But it's a slogan. There's no policy behind it. And so the policy. Well, what about what about raising minimum wage? And so I think that's but I, I don't get a sense that. The, the slogan to me is more about anti-Trump versus having real policy behind behind it. And so I think if the if the DNC was able to get out of this, let's just put up cool sounding slogans and actually have policy that speaks to the speaks to people's unemployment and people that speaks to the concerns that people have around healthcare, for example, that's a much better way of thinking about things than to create these kind of nickel penny dollar penny slogans that just don't really ring true mark what do you think so there's a, there is a slogan right what is it is it the fair deal the the, the, the half be- deal the, the half loaf what is it better deal better jobs better wages better future well who's against better right i mean you know better is always better so there's, there's good that it's better so let's let's take the uh, i mean i completely agree with kari so to me what's missing in all of this is that wonderful vision thing so, mm. you know, you can be against raising people's wages, which, you know, is pretty Scrooge. Or you can be for people having higher wages mm-hmm. because they haven't risen in 30 years. Mm-hmm. And what they, as typical Democrats, sort of like, well, you know, if you really want to do something, we'd just mandate $18. But that'd probably scare people. So how about 15 So it's kind of like a half a good deal. Mm-hmm. It's better than a crap deal. Mm-hmm. And it's better than no deal. And now suddenly I'm in a game show. So I don't know where we are. Yeah, that's it. So neither of you think it's enough to gain... Um blue collar Trump voters to get them over to the other side. Well, I I think that this is what they're trying to do, but I also think that's a misdirection on their part, part meaning that the Democrats need to speak to they're never going to win over those voters that uh, that voted for Trump or that, at least that population of voters. But I think they need to think about putting back together the Obama coalition because when you have that coalition just in sheer numbers, then it's shown that you can win. And I think the vision thing that Mark talked about is exactly what the Democrats lacked last time around. And so to create construct that or have some have a candidate construct that enables them to connect with voters, the voters that will vote for them, but they need a push to vote for them. Yeah, I wouldn't be quite as pessimistic as that, because ultimately, if you're doing that, what you're saying is, well, you know, all those blue collar people that have real legitimate gripes about stuff that's happened, we're not going to even try and reach them. And I think that's a terrible lack of ambition, because if all you're going to do is constantly track to a center that's been pulled to more and more to the right every day by the Republicans to the point that now they're finally in power, they can't actually do anything because what they want to do literally is insane. Then what's the point in the Democrats? You've got to basically change the game, change the conversation, so that people in that coalition realize that it's actually not in their interest to follow through and voting for these folks. Mm-hmm. And you don't think it was clever to sort of answer what part of what got Trump elected with their own populist economic agenda, or you just think that's not? Well, even why is an raising the minimum wage populist? Well, it's. Fam- paid family leave, paid sick leave. Why is that populist? Like they do that in Germany. Is Germany run by populists? No, maybe not. But it's it's certainly more 
well, people it's, friendly. Well, it's certainly policies that you would like Democrats to do, but there's nothing populist about anything they've said. Okay. It also feels like they're reaching back to the Bernie voters. Uh, yeah, to, exactly. To, and that just seems like two two years ago. Like, why aren't we in 2017 now? And why why are we talking about an issue that seems to, I mean, cities have 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 cottoned onto this. It just seems like a, it just seems like they're playing, trying to play catch up. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go over to Britain and uh, Theresa May's troubles. Chris Wilkins, her director of strategy, just resigned, and he's the third, um, along with two chiefs of staff that she's lost recently. What's the prognosis for her reign? Well, I don't want to say anything about rats and sinking ships, but you know, if we were to take an aquatic <laughs> analogy, it would be mm-hmm. somewhere along the lines of, it's sinking, it's sinking, I've got four paws and a tail, what shall I do next? So, so who would take the jobs now? Well, I actually have a follow-up oh. question for Mark on this point. If what, How does her negotiating or starting Brexit, does that help her position? Oh, no, no, it no? kills her. I mean, the whole thing's moronic. This is all anybody ever actually needs to understand about Brexit, right? So the Brits were never in the euro. That means that they didn't have to put up with any of the nonsense that goes on in Europe, right? Then they had their own currency. They're not in the euro, so they can devalue. They can do lots of things for economic management purposes. Uh, They got to sit at the big table with the Germans and the French and veto any rules they didn't want, and they got free access to all the markets they trade in. And they decided to vote against that in the name of a better deal. (laughs) It's that funny, right? So it's a bit like I believe in mobility enhancement, so I'm cutting off one of my legs. Mm. So having made that decision to vote yourself into a better position, which is literally impossible because the one that you had was the best one, you now have to fix that. Nobody wants to fix that. Nobody in the Tory party wants to touch it. Nobody wants to own this. It's just a complete show. Well, there's there's less than two years left, right? Till it. Yeah. So how's it going to play out? Well, there's your analogy. It's the Republicans with, with healthcare reform, right? So what's their preferred option now? Let's kick it down the road for two years and kick out a couple of cosmetic changes because this is a total mess and we don't know how to fix it because we've talked ourselves into a position which we would have never done in the first place. It's strangely similar. Mm, nice segue, Mark. Uh, let's talk about the... Um, well, they're voting right now, so we don't even know the latest. Does it matter? So, thoughts? So many. So many thoughts. Um, it doesn't... I mean, so, a couple of things. So, the way that the Senate Majority Leader has set this up to even get to the vote um, and really creating this atmosphere where those... And I don't even want to call them moderates, but those who decided, uh, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, uh, Dean Heller, putting them and a few others, putting them in a position where they're now going to have to vote up or up or down on it is, I guess, a smart political decision. But I don't know what it does policy wise for them. Um, it also seems just a confusing mess uh, as to what they're voting on, the content yeah. of what it is mm-hmm. that they're uh, they're voting on. Um, I think it seems like from the news this morning that some may be happy to have this in, in conference with uh, with the House, and yet you also have um, the Democratic Senator from Oregon offering all of the, you know 100 amendments to try to slow things down. Yeah. So it just seems so chaotic, and the Senate is not the Senate doesn't run on chaos. In some ways, the House does, and so for the Senate to be having um, legislation just pushed through and to not be debating, and all these hallmarks of the Senate just seems to to just be the wrong way to be running the Senate around something 
something like this. But I think it's a new day in, mm. in the Senate, and especially with um, with the vice president casting all of these tiebreaker votes. Mm-hmm. So, so I have a much simpler take on this. Um, for 10 years, a bunch of really angry, very rich old white men who are astonishingly right wing uh, talked to each other about how awful everything was. And then suddenly they got power. And they walked outside and it's like, oh my God, is that a flying car? Right? They were like, you know, what, what the hell is this world really like? And they discovered that that awful administration had actually given about 25 million people healthcare. So let's assume that you've got 25 million people. Let's say 25% of them have something seriously wrong with them. Mm-hmm. That if they do not continue treatment, they will die early, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is, I've got a reform proposal. We're going to kill 6 million Americans. Mm-hmm. Right. Good luck selling that. Yeah. Right. So if it doesn't... If this doesn't get fixed, is it politically damaging? How politically damaging will it be? Well, that the- was my question, too, is what's the what are the repercussions of this? I mean, the people have to people actually have to vote and punish the representatives if they vote for this and they lose their health care. And will that happen? They also have to be alive. Yes. To vote. That's a crucial part of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see, I guess. It- well, society evolves one funeral at a time. I, I, the thing that it makes me so pessimistic about this is that in midterm elections, we know this lower turnout. And so do they do voters show up? Do, does is there momentum around this or in a year? Are we all are we, we've moved on to something else and there's outrage about something else or we've become apathetic or whatever mm-hmm. we are. But we're are they going to punish the um, the senators? Are they going to punish the Republican mm-hmm. Party? But even though they don't, I mean, just do those numbers very roughly. I mean, divide it by two. You're still talking three million extra deaths. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, was it seven hundred and forty thousand Americans died in World War Two? Mm. I mean, three million deaths voluntarily because of a policy change, mm-hmm. and that's crazy. Well, someone would do well to, you know, capitalize on that message. That won't be the Democrats. Death. Is that? I mean, it'd be some corny message. I mean, some corny slogan. <laughs> some t- I mean, five cent slogan. Yeah. Avoid death. Vote D. Yeah. You know. Can we talk about Venezuela for a second? We could. Anyone else interested in what's going on there and how it got to be so bad when it was so good? It's it's close to failing. Yeah, no, it's completely failing. I mean, so so here's the history of Latin America, right? It doesn't really matter who's in charge. The whole thing is run basically because of either agricultural or mineral exports. You've got eye-watering levels of inequality and an elite that like things just the way they are because they can steal just enough to keep going. Mm-hmm. So you have a left-wing reaction to that, which is Chavez mm-hmm. populism, right? And you have the right-wing action version of that, which is variously Peronism and then military takeovers, right? And at the end of the day, that's how these economies perform. And what you have in Venezuela is a classic left populism. They win the ballot box, they go in, they take everything, they massive redistributionary spending. They don't invest in the oil company, which is the only thing keeping the place going. Mm-hmm. They run it into the ground. The great leader dies. A second-rate guy takes over, and the whole thing's fallen on its arse. Mm-hmm. If you look at Brazil, you've got the center version of that. If you look at the history of Argentina, I mean, they've been bust eight times since they were founded. You know, move along, same story. Mm. So is anyone going to swoop in and save them, or are they going to save themselves? Who who swoops in to save I them? Did, I, I'm asking. No. Even Ben Affleck couldn't do that one. <laughs> and he does swooping because he's Batman. So when do they Not hit Batman? Bo- when does Batman Venezuela... When does Venezuela hit bottom? Probably people are starving, right? Yeah, no, there's no food in the supermarkets, massive black black market, um, very high levels of inflation, basic economic mechanism Mm -hmm. broken down, polarization. Yeah, it's not looking good. Mm -hmm. The interesting counter case to this is Chile. 
So what Chile did is they're equally commodity dependent, but they didn't spend it all at once on one constituency. Mm -hmm. They stuck it in a big savings account. So when the copper price fell, they still have an economy left. Mm -hmm. And they actually invest in education and training and startups and all the things that actually might work. Mm -hmm. Well, and the obvious point maybe is how does this destabilize the other countries around it that Brazil is now feeling um, Venezuelans are fleeing to Brazil, which, mm -hmm. and as Mark said, it's not so hot there. So how do, does this cause other destabilization? Throughout yeah, it's a good question. I think we should keep watching it. Any other thoughts, guys, from around the world? Something happening in Poland. I was reading the front page of, and the president of Poland, Duda, has now said that um, that the executive branch won't have control over the judicial branch. And I thought that was interesting, just thinking that he came up under the shadow of the Kaczynski brothers or the one Kaczynski that's left and actually showing some independence around um, and not just um, just following what Kaczynski says mm -hmm. and uh, says and does. So it's, it, especially thinking about the position of some of these Eastern European countries in the shadow of Russia, um, I thought that was one of these moments where you think maybe they aren't going to just fall in lockstep with whoever the crazy person is in charge. Yeah. Mark? Just wait till Macron fails. <laughs> you can't wait. And no, I, I really I really want him to succeed because the, the alternative is horrible. Mm -hmm. But when he does, that's when these guys will feel empowered again. Mm -hmm. And you'll see the next step. Okay, we'll, we'll be watching. Thanks, everybody. Thank Pleasure. You.